Good morning. It is uh, so good to be here with you this morning. I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I just want to say welcome and good morning. We have much to celebrate this morning. The, like Connor mentioned a little bit earlier, the month of June has brought um, us a lot of things to be excited about and to thank God for and to celebrate. And one of them is summer camp, which we just kind of saw that video recap of. And it was an amazing, amazing uh, just an amazing trip, an amazing opportunity that we've had. And I've just been, um, I've been so thankful in praising God that over 20 years of being involved in camps, I've continued to see every year God's faithfulness and his amazing faithfulness at every single summer camp. And I'm just so amazed by that. And I'm so thankful. And we are so thankful to you guys and to this church for making that something that can happen. Um, your financial contributions, the, the way that you scholarship kids that can't go, and then more importantly than that even is your prayer, your prayer that God would change hearts, that God would do the things that only he can do when we go away to a place like Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego and we remove distractions and we focus on God for a week and we really ask him to do amazing things and he is faithful and he shows up and he does it. So we were so thankful for that. I was talking to Brian Berger, our next gen pastor who oversees the youth and everything and asking him, hey, give me some, give me some ideas, some thoughts of, of what you had, what you took away from camp. Um, and he sent me this text and I wanted to read it to you guys. Uh, some things that he thought about camp. So give you some stats. We took nearly 500 or right on the dot 500 kids with us to camp, which is amazing. Um, and yeah, you can, you can clap for that. Now, along with that, this is also, I, I mean, to me, almost maybe even a more impressive number. Well, along with 500 students, we took 170 adult staff in different varieties, whether it was production or the band or small group leaders for the students or crew dads who got in there and set up all the games or people to watch for childcare and all that kind of stuff. So we had 170 people come and just serve the camp that way. And, so that, and some of those, like the crew dads, paid their own way in order to be there and serve that. So we're super, super thankful for that. In the course of getting there, we had zero bus breakdowns. So that is an amazing thing as well. Um, this camp was unique for this reason, or for, for, I mean, one of many reasons, but there were 12 congregations represented at this camp for us. And so historically, we've always done a Redemption Gilbert summer camp, and this was the first year we truly did an all-redemption summer camp. All 10 redemption congregations were there, and then two other of our brother and sister congregations were there with us. So smaller churches getting to kind of partner up with larger churches and getting to have opportunities they wouldn't otherwise have, so that was incredible. The band was a mix of a bunch of the different congregations, and all the students loved it. The worship was awesome. We had kids come to Salvation. We had kid make, or kids that were, uh, gosh, I, I'm thinking of, of stories in my, in my head of kids that had encountered like dark parts of their own soul, whether it was their own sin or things that had happened to them, and they received healing from those things at camp. And so we had tons of stuff like that happen. The Spirit was moving um, in incredible ways. In Brown Chapel, which is where we kind of had all of our meetings, you could go in there and you can ask anybody who was there. You could just see and feel and sense the movement of the Spirit and God doing things that only God can do. I remember that, or think of that Billy Graham quote, you know, um, I, I can't see the wind, but I can see the effects of the wind. 
How do you know God is real? You can't see God. Well, I can see the effects of God, and we saw that at the summer camp, and so we rejoice, um, and we rejoice together with what God did. Aaron Daly spoke, um, who's the pastor over at Redemption Alhambra. It was great. Um, firm foundation was the theme, as Connor mentioned, and it was so relevant um, and so helpful in the world that these um, students are encountering, and so we're super, super thankful for that, and it was an awesome time. Thank you so much to you guys for all of your participation in it. Then we came back. That was the beginning of June. Then we came back, and about a week later, we had Kids Camp right here. Kids Camp VBS right here in this room. They moved all the chairs out, and they were playing games, and I, I saw a basketball hoop in here, and I was freaking out because I thought they were going to destroy things, but they didn't. It was great. Everyone had an awesome time. And here's what was super cool. Some of the students who went to summer camp were serving the younger kids at the kids' VBS camp, and that was awesome. Um, Brian Berger and his team, the women in that ministry, the leaders, the women leaders of that ministry did such an amazing job. Beth and Susan and Marsha and Tracy and Christina. I, there I did it. I remembered all five. I, I, I forgot Tracy. How could I forget Tracy in the last service? What, I mean, I, I just wasn't even thinking at all. So anyway, they did such an amazing job. So many kids were ministered to. So many kids were served. So many kids had just an absolute blast. And so we rejoice with what God is doing in the next-gen ministries from, I mean, the littlest of kids all the way to juniors and seniors in high school. So I wanted to do something because this takes a group effort, and I'm so proud of us as a congregation and proud of us for the things and the ways that we invest in the future and in the next generation. If you were any part of summer camp, so you went to summer camp, you were an adult staff at summer camp, you were a crew dad, any part of summer camp or any part of um, kids camp, VBS, so you served in there, I want you to stand up and we want to recognize you this morning. So go ahead, please stand up. Don't be shy. Don't hesitate. Everyone, come on. Look around the room. And think to yourself, next year that'll be me. All right? So thank you guys so much for serving. Um, just an uh, amazing moment in our church and, and stuff to celebrate in our church. And, and kind of these historic moments when you think about moments of salvation for students and for kids. So awesome things happening in our church. But along with that, we have historic and awesome things happening in our country. Most of you know that just yet a couple days ago, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Absolutely. That is something that we can clap for, something that we can rejoice in. In the first service, I wasn't necessarily expecting this, but I, I got a little bit emotional because I, I just, I realized that my whole life, I have lived under this unjust ruling from Roe versus Wade. And in my life, I never thought that this would be something that could be overturned. And I don't attribute it to the incredible work that the church has done because I don't think that we necessarily have always done enough, but I attribute it to God's unbelievable and amazing grace and movement towards something that would be great. I was talking to Paul um, this week and I, and I asked him, I said, hey, what would you like to share? And he sent me this statement um, that I just wanna read to you guys um, from, from Paul and from the team. This week, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, putting an end to the idea that abortion is a fundamental right guaranteed by the Constitution. Undoubtedly, this is a historic moment to be celebrated by the church, and we thank God for this. 
We also should be reminded that while it is a vital step on this issue, it won't end abortion in this country or in Arizona as a whole. We still live in a world that often ignores the vulnerable, both the unborn and the mothers who feel like abortion is the only legitimate option for them. The church can be leading the way in the days to come as we offer grace to those who have had or encouraged abortions in the past. As we offer a listening ear to those who disagree on this issue and may be frightened or angry, this should awaken in us an action that leads the way in putting feet and hands to our convictions by caring for the vulnerable mothers and families and continuing our commitment to foster care and adoption in our community. We are thankful for the lives that will be saved by this ruling and look forward to the day when all injustice everywhere will come to an end under the reign of King Jesus. Amen? Amen. So it truly is, June has offered us so many things to be excited about, to be celebrated. And one of the things that I think about back to, to summer camp with 10 congregations there and 12 congregations represented is we've said this thing within redemption every once in a while that one of the things that we enjoy is that we're better together. We're better together when we see the unity of God bringing his people together from different congregations and loving him together and learning from him together. And one of the ways that we're better together is we get to have on staff a guy like Sandy Mason. So Sandy Mason is kind of like a pastor to the pastors. He's a, a resource for so many of the pastors in all of redemption uh, to be able to give wisdom, to be able to fill the pulpit in some of the smaller congregations when they don't have someone else to fill the pulpit. He's a guy who gets to, we get to glean wisdom from in a lot of different meetings. And so he brings with him 40 years of ministry. That's a lot, right? 40 years of ministry, and he's only 50 years old. So he's done that in a, in a very small amount of time. But we love Sandy, and we're super thankful to have him here. So would you guys welcome him with me? I got a little allergy thing going, so I'm going to have some water up here. But there's no one in the splash zone, so I don't care if I spill it. Redemption Gilbert, good morning. You're at church. Of all the places you could be, you came to church. I mean, you... You can still be at the bar. You can still be in bed. You can play that video game, or I don't know what else you'd be doing, but you're here, and that's good for you. It's better than multivitamins coming to church. Because there is an invisible kingdom that Jesus said is all around you. It's all around you, and it's powerful, and it's at work. And what we want to do as a follower of Jesus is put ourselves in the flow. We want to be in the flow of the kingdom, and when you come to a house like this where the name of Christ is being exalted in worship, and we're praying, and we're remembering his uh, sacrifice and communion, and we're uh, receiving his word, he's here. And if he's here, that's good for you. That's good for you. So good that you came to church, and you know, after so many weeks of attendance, you will go to heaven. You know, that's how it works. <laughs> No, I am glad you're here. That's, that's the challenge in the beauty of preaching is I, I don't really know who's here, but I know there's people like I've talked to that have been part of this church for as long as it existed. I met with a guy that was here at the first service when it was East Valley Bible. And then there's some of you who have just, you know, kind of wandered in the last few weeks. And I'm supposed to have a message that touches all of you, and I'm just not going to do it, so just die to that. 
That's terrible. The Holy Spirit will do something. Come on, have some hope. Let's pray before I lose you. Lord, don't let them walk out yet. Keep them in their seat. Father, we do, by faith, we believe in what we can't see. We believe that you are and that you reward those who seek you. We believe that the risen Christ is with you right now and knows the hairs on my head and is talking to you about me. And we believe that your Holy Spirit is in the house and moving in hearts and opening minds to understand and receive your truth. That you're moving Holy Spirit to bring hope. Bring a little hope. A little encouragement. A little understanding. Bring a little faith, a little strength to keep going on. You know every story, Father. You know every story. May we receive from you today. That's my only hope as a preacher, that you do your powerful, invisible work as I open your book. To the greatness of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, who, who saw God this week? Anybody see God? You're crazy. Okay, psychiatrist, we got, you know. Here, let me tell you where I saw God. I got a little two-year-old granddaughter, Heidi. She's napping at our house. It was time to get her up. Her daddy was coming to get her. And so Margie and I walked into the room, and her face, some of you know what, it's just this sweet face of a child asleep. It is like the poets have said, it's like looking at an angel. It's just, it's so innocent and peaceful. That's what God does. That's so good. I saw God in the face of my little granddaughter. Who here's got a dog? Anybody got a dog? Gosh, don't tell. 14 years we had Bear, a little cockapoo, run around our house. Then she went to Jesus. I, I don't know if she's a Christian dog. I'm hoping so. We, we prayed for her, but... Uh, Gosh, I love that little cockapoo. And I grew up with big bad dogs, boxers, and Newfoundlands, and Golden Retriever. I didn't have no sissy wad cockapoo dog. But man, that dog won my heart. And the greatest thing about Bear is I come in the house, and Bear just greets me like I'm the greatest thing that's happened to her all day. Didn't ever ask me, well, you know, did you save anybody today, Pastor? You know? Did you pray an hour today? Did you read your Bible? She just thinks I'm great. What a gift. God, that, that's the gift of God to you. He made the cockapoo. Yes. Have you seen God? Are you looking? It's all his, friend. It's all his. His love permeates his creation. He wants us to seek the God who's made these these little beautiful glimpses that we might have. The book of Colossians is a place to see God. If you have a Bible, uh, look in chapter 4. Wrapping up this great book you've been in with Paul and others. I love Colossians. Uh, one reason, it's short. Yeah, like my favorite gospel is Mark. It's short. Get to the point, Jesus. Why are you here? Where are you going? You know, in college, I didn't read War and Peace. I didn't read, you know, Atlas Shrugged. You know, I, I look for the cliff notes. I just confess it. You can't take my degree now. I'm here. 
But I love that Paul packs so much in Colossians. Four chapters of great theology and great practical help. And you know, that's how he writes all his letters. You saw that, didn't you? Like in Ephesians and Colossians and Romans, he always starts with the theology. You, you got to know who we're talking about. You got to know who Jesus is and how you know him. And then once you're clear, your feet are on the solid ground of your theology in Christ, now we can talk about how to live the life. The tragedy of man-made religion is they want to tell you how to live a life and you don't have your feet on anything solid about who you are in Christ. But biblical Christianity says, oh, start with what Christ has done and who he is, and once that's clear, now you can live in his grace, right? So you've had these rich chapters, and we're in chapter 4 wrapping up this great letter. I want to start in chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Some translations say devote yourself to prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in, in the prison, I'm in chains, that I may make it clear what I ought to speak. Wow, there's a lot there. Let, let's start with the first one. Prayer. Why does he need to say be faithful in prayer. Be steadfast. Commit yourself. Do it. Keep praying. He has to say that because it's so tempting to quit. Who here like me can find prayer hard at times? You know what? When I came to Christ over at uh, ASU in the frat dorm, Sunday morning, sick from too much fraternizing, got my seven up and my crackers, and the nerd of the frat who loved Jesus came in and led me to Christ. I mean, I wasn't on a spiritual hunt. Uh, I just want to stay really from the toilet that morning. And all of a sudden, I've invited Jesus into my life. I mean, it was his time for me. Wow. And so I called my girlfriend, Margie, and said, Margie, I, I don't know what this means, but something's happened. I asked Jesus to come in my life. I said, I'm yours, Jesus, and something's happened. I just want you to know. Long silence on the phone. Well, you, you know, you're not a Jew or you've been a Christian. What are you talking about? Four days later, the Holy Spirit just came on Margie. She melted before my eyes and said, well, how do I become a Christian? Four days, and I led my girlfriend to Christ. I thought, okay, I'm an evangelist. <laughs> Somebody called Billy and let him know that his understudy is ready to go. Called my folks. My mom started to cry. This is back in the day of landlines. You remember a landline? So you said, Mom and Dad, you both got to get on the phone. So one went in the kitchen, the other had to go in the bedroom. You know, remember that? They thought, oh, you're dropping out or something bad's happened. I said, guys, I, Mom and Dad, I, I don't know what this means, but I asked Jesus to come into my life and something's happened. Things are going to be different. I just want you to know. Mom starts to cry. Turns out Jesus got a hold of her a couple years before. Dad, well, he's 92 and is just now getting into the Word and getting his relationship with Jesus. So that kind of sobered up my, you know, quick evangelism gift. And that's what can make prayer hard. Sometimes you pray for something and you see God move. You see a response and you're encouraged, but then there's other things you've been praying about. Maybe it's a health thing. God, how long do I have to stay with this chronic thing? 
Maybe it's a financial thing where you, you just can't get out from under the burden of financial loss. Maybe it's a work thing or a relationship. I, I've got a child that is just not with Jesus, and I'm like, Lord, are you hearing? The longer he goes, the harder it'll be. just want to keep you informed how this works, Lord. But sometimes I just need to be reminded, Sandy, you don't see the whole picture. You can't see all that I'm doing. You know, your perspective is a, a little small. If I drew a line across the front of this auditorium, and that line represented all of human history, and I got a pencil and, and made a mark of your life, how big would that mark be? Not much. So the word keeps saying to me, keep praying. Jesus, his parables on prayer all had this theme of don't quit. Don't quit. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Remember that story about the widow that couldn't get away with the mean judge until she just bugged him so much that finally he said, all right, all right, what is it you want? Well, that wasn't to say, well, God's like that. Just keep bugging him until he says, okay, okay. The punchline of that parable, Jesus, is how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven answer the prayers of his beloved ones, his chosen ones? How much more? If this widow finally got this judge to turn, how much more will those for whom Christ died, whom the Father loves, hear your prayers? So that's the message. Keep praying. Your prayers matter. You have this unexplainable authority with Jesus. Devote yourself to prayer. Be watchful in it. Be aware of what's going on. Don't just stay in your little bubble, you know, God, give me a parking space today. You can get bigger than that. You know, praying for the youth camp, praying for vacation Bible stuff, praying for the preachers and the elders, praying for the church in this time of turmoil in our nation when we've had a, a great victory, but it's surfacing huge division. Praying for the church, how we respond, how you respond to people you love and care about that are on the other side of this issue. So be tuned in, be aware, be watchful, but here's the key word. Are you with me? Verse 2, pray with thanksgiving with gratitude. See, prayer is a clear barometer of your faith. If you're having a hard time praying, that's a clue that you're having a hard time trusting God. Because circumstances, pain, loss, whatever, we all walk through them, but they can rattle your confidence. And when your confidence in God is rattled, prayer is just... There's a little voice in the back going, well, why? Doesn't seem to work. Bad stuff's still happening. Nothing's gotten fixed. Why? So gratitude is the key when you get stuck in your prayer life. It's a discipline. You know what I mean by that? Don't let that word scare you. It means it's got to be a habit, a practice that you do even when you don't feel like it. I have a couple journals in my study where when I'm stuck and I get stuck, I get stuck. God, what, what, where are you? Nothing's happening. So gratitude is a discipline where I start to write 
what I'm thankful for. You, you ought to write it out. Type it out, whatever you do. But you ought to put it where you can see it. And where the impact of all those good things, and that's where the Spirit will come in. When you, when you choose to be grateful, when you choose to look at what God has given you, your heart will open, and you'll be thankful. And now you'll want to pray. I mean, if Christ has found you, and you are here because there was some time when Christ reeled you in and the light went on and now you know you are His. I mean, what else do we need to pray for? You're home free. You're His. You're in His will. You're an heir of Christ. That's what gratitude is. I start to write all that I just have in Christ. I'm indwelt by His Spirit. I have angels attending to me. My future is secure. I pray and the triune God hears. I have gifts to use in ministry. I have friends. I have family. I'm rich. I had bear the cockapoo. Come on. Gratitude is the key to jumpstart your prayer life. And make it a discipline. Make it a practice. Make it a weekly activity and write it so it's just for you. If you think someone else is going to read it, you'll start writing religious stuff like what a good Christian you are. No, make sure it's just for you so that you can write those things that only you and God know about. Those little places where he met you and delivered you and helped you overcome. The things that you love about being his child. Gratitude is the key to restarting my prayer life. I have a, one of my mentors who's with Jesus now, Dallas Willard, has a great quote from his, probably his, his greatest work, The Divine Conspiracy. Kingdom praying, as opposed to just kind of religious repetition or some kind of manipulation of God to get us what we want. Kingdom praying, it's efficacy, that is, what makes it work is entirely a matter of the innermost heart being totally open and honest before God. That's so key to praying. God does not want some prayer in King James English that will move him. You know, there's a whole movement among Christendom and sweeping the planet, sadly, in which you say certain things, you speak it, and God's obligated to make it be. It's to make you prosperous, to make you healthy. It's, it's a manipulation of God. It's like a form of, of magic or something. That's not what God's looking for. God wants you. Jesus' whole ministry was to get us back to our heart, to a place of honest openness with God. All the junk, all the hurt, all the anger, God wants your innermost person open to him. And he teaches us how to be in prayer what we are in life and how to be in life what we are in prayer. In other words, if you were to hear me pray, it shouldn't, I shouldn't have a different tone of voice. I, I shouldn't be talking to God that much differently than how I talk to Margie, my kids, to you in the body of Christ. I should be the same person. 
That's what Christ wants. He wants you. So deliver yourself from some burden about prayer, that you're not doing it right, or you're not saying the right formula, or the right words. Just take you into that quiet place. I love that on this campus there's a room devoted just for you to do that. Don't you love that? That's a great statement. Right off the commons if you've never been. But Jesus wants you, the real you. Bring the real you and talk to him like you would talk to a friend. That's what he wants. You are his friend through Christ. Hmm. Prayer. So, devote yourself. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And then he says, pray for me that God would open a door to declare the mystery of Christ. Oh, we got to hang out here a minute. The mystery of Christ. I've got a, a quote that will clarify what Paul was saying. Can you throw that up, guys, from old Bible teacher, commentary writer, G. Campbell Morgan? He said, Jesus, he was the God-man. Not God indwelling a man, of such there have been many. Not a man deified, of such there have been none, save in the myths of pagan systems of thought. But it was God and man combining in one personality. One personality. Wow. And we can't explain it. In fact, if you read through church history, you'll see that the church is always falling off one end or the other of that, that tension. Either Jesus is so much God that he wasn't even really a man on the cross, it was kind of a phantom, he didn't really suffer, to the other extreme of Jesus wasn't God at all, he's just a man and a good moral example. But the mystery of Jesus is that it was God in the flesh. No other religion wanted to do that. That's just too much. No God would allow, would dirty himself by taking on human flesh, but Jesus did. That's what Paul writes in Philippians 2, that great letter, the, the emptying of Jesus. He laid all these things aside and took on, Paul calls it the form of a slave, a servant, a human being. Oh, it's a mystery. Turn back to chapter 1 if you have a Bible of Colossians. In the New Testament, there are three great chapter 1s. You should have these in your back pocket. They're easy. And that's where you see that there is no question, no hesitation, no fogginess. Jesus is God. It's John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God and was with God, all things came into being through him, nothing came into being that is, Jesus is God. That's clear in John chapter 1. The next one is Colossians chapter 1, which we'll look at. The third one is Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 begins, uh, in the past, God spoke to us through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son, listen to this, who is the exact representation of God. Not a close proximity. Well, if you see Jesus, you know, God's a little grouchier, but basically that's God. No, that's the exact representation. What you love about Jesus, that's God. That's who he is. That's his character. That's his heart. That's his tenderness, his kindness. That's his strength. That's his righteous anger. What you see in Jesus, you're seeing God. So, Three great chapter ones, John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1. Let's look at Colossians, since that's the book we're in. Just to remind you, it's chapter 1, verse 15. Remember these verses? He is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. Don't let firstborn throw you. That was a, a Greek term in the first century. It meant the, the one who's first before all. It doesn't mean Jesus came into being in Mary's womb. He was before all things. He's the one that gets preeminence. He's the firstborn of all creation for, listen to this, if you weren't sure about that, this verse will clear it up, verse 16. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Mind-blowing. How big is all things? I mean, the size of the universe, it, it just, it's more than we can conceive. And that all came through the hands of Christ. All things through him and for him. The Father's pleasure was to say, son, this is for you. The Father is pleased to make Jesus the big deal. There's no competition. There's no ego struggle in the Trinity. The Father is delighted to say, Jesus, it's all for you. And the Spirit's great joy is to make Jesus known, to open the minds of knuckleheads like you and me to suddenly see it. I remember that day I shared with you at ASU when the Spirit opened my mind. I remember going outside that night and seeing the, the stars on that clear Arizona sky, and it is like, oh, you made all that. This, it's you. That's the Spirit's joy to show us Christ. All things, all things through Him, for Him, by Him. The great white shark through Him and for Him. Bear the cockaboo through him and for him. You, your child, through him, by him, for him. Wow. That's the mystery of Christ. How can that be? How could that being, with that kind of power, become a man? How could you take the Son Think of the size and power and brightness of the sun and then lay everything aside and put it in one light bulb. That's what he did. It's the mystery of Christ. That's why we shouldn't rush people to a decision as I've been prone to do. Well, Don't you want to go to heaven, brother? Well, just pray and receive Christ and you go to heaven. And they don't know Christ from Jimmy D. Cricket. But I've told them he loved him and died for him, so just pray the prayer. They don't get it. Give them time. It's a mystery. You need time to think about it, to wrestle with it. A man after the first service told me he was not a Christian, wasn't really interested. Uh, a shoe salesman came to his door, knocked on his door, got talking about spiritual things. The guy spent three hours on his driveway explaining the gospel and who Jesus is, and the guy gave his heart to Christ. Wow. It's a mystery. It takes time. Don't rush your friends who don't know him. Let them understand who this is that's on that cross. Why do we believe all this? How do we know it's true? Well, the resurrection kind of took care of that. They never found the body because he wasn't there because he's alive. Amen? So he said, here's what they'll do to me. They'll kill me, I'll be dead, I'll be raised in three days. He pulled it off, and now I can say, I believe you. I believe your word. I believe it's true. Hmm. The mystery of Christ. All right, back in chapter 4. 
Give yourself faithfully to prayer with thanksgiving. Make it a habit, a practice. Consider the mystery of Christ. That's why we need to be in the Gospels. Every year you ought to read through one of the Gospels just to keep the person of Christ in your mind and heart. The beauty of who he is, what he said, what it means to follow him. And then he says in verse 5, look at this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of your time with them. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Man, we live in an age, and what's happened, Roe v. Wade has just exacerbated the, the divide and how hard it is to talk. That's why social media is kind of a disaster, because there's no real conversations, just people throwing out their, their statements and their shots at one another. Paul is saying, get in conversations. And don't dump the whole truck. Season your speech. And a conversation, first of all, implies you are listening. Listen. The goal is not to defend God and your position. The goal is not to get all the information you can about the gospel of someone. You know what the goal is? To listen and ask good questions. Listen and ask good questions. And then have a response that will make them want more. That's what salt does. I put a little salt on that steak, and I want more. Vegetarians, on your eggplant. I don't know. But salt just piques your appetite to want more. That's what Paul is saying. Think about, as you're listening, what could you say about what you've experienced with Christ or who Jesus is that might make them want to hear more? And if they don't, that's not your fault. But, but let's deliver ourselves from the need to be right, to defend them, our, our, our point, to give them all the information. I like how Eugene Peterson put it in the message. Some of you know that paraphrase, the Bible, the message. Here's how he wrote this verse. The goal is to bring out the best in the other person in a conversation. That's it. To bring out the best surface their heart, their longings, their ambitions. Understand them is what Paul's saying. Not to put them down or to cut them off. That's, that's what Paul's saying. Open a door for me that I might make it clear what I ought to say about the mystery of Christ. Always gracious, seasoned with salt. That's the mission to talk to people about Christ. And you and I, our call here in the States, we have, have lots of opportunity with people that have a wrong view of who we are, what it means to know Christ, and so we want to listen and ask great questions. I love missionaries. I love to read missionary stories. This guy, this is the ultimate missionary name. Are you ready for this? I'm not making this up. His name was C.T. Studd. Yeah, he's a missionary from Great Britain, century pack. He was a cricketer. That's the British version of baseball, which we made 900% better. But he was really good. He was <clears throat> one of the best in the nation. His father was wealthy. He could have lived a life as a celebrity athlete and rich guy moving with the elite. And then Jesus got a hold of C.T. Studd. And when Jesus got a hold of this man... He grabbed some of his body, he said, let's go where the gospel needs to be heard. And they went into Africa, they went into India, they went into China. I mean, this guy went to the hardest places because that's the kind of man God had made him to be. 
But he has a couple quotes here that I just love. So throw up my C.T. Studd quote. This is so good. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Anybody here work at a crisis pregnancy center volunteer? Yeah, that's, that's that place. Any of you work at a, or part of a 12-step ministry to help people deal with addiction? That's, that's that place. That's where you see God work in lives that have nowhere else to turn. Here's another great C.T. Studd quote. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Yeah, C.T. Studd. So what are we saying? Your prayers matter. Easy to get discouraged. If your prayer life is waning, your faith is probably waning, I would encourage you, practice the discipline of gratitude. Keep your eyes on Christ. Make the study of Christ, the enjoyment of Christ, the contemplation of Christ, conversations about Christ, your delight. It will open your heart and your mind to the things of God. And then learn to ask good questions of folks outside the faith. Don't get defensive. Don't feel like you had to tell them everything. Learn to draw them out. Like they're real people that matter, that you love. And discover what they're thinking. And pray that God might give you that word seasoned with salt, right? Paul closes his letters with greetings to some friends. The first one is Tychicus. Anybody name their kid Tychicus? Come on, he's a great biblical hero. Why didn't you did David? You did Luke? You no know one does Tychicus. Call him, hey, Tiki. That'd be a cute nickname, Tiki. He's like the Pony Express. He's delivering Paul's letters all over the place. Then there's a few verses down, verse 9, Onesimus. Remember, Onesimus was a slave, was a slave who ran away from his master, got found in Rome, got arrested. And who's his cellmate? The Apostle Paul. That could be either really bad news or good news. In his case, it was good news because he came to faith, and Paul writes the letter Philemon, which is in your New Testament, saying to his owner, hey, take him back. He's a different man. Don't hold this against him. And now he's useful for Paul in the work of the kingdom. Another one like that is Mark. In verse 10, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. If you remember the book of Acts, Barnabas brings his cousin Mark along with Paul, and something happens, and Mark doesn't cut it. I mean, I'm sure Paul was a tough guy to follow, demanding I mean, you saw how he pushed himself. His life is a mind-blowing, uh, church-planning, missionary juggernaut. And uh, at some point, he just felt like Mark didn't have the right stuff, and Mark Barnabas said, okay, I'll take Mark. Well, Mark got restored and got restored to Paul. In another place, Paul will say, bring Mark to me. He's useful to me. I just love that, that Mark's back on the team, that Paul was humble enough to receive him and that people get restored. There's always another shot, folks, I don't know if there's someone sitting here today and you're like, you know, I, I'm on the sidelines now. You're not. You're not. There's always another opportunity for you. Nympha. Nympha in verse 15 has a church meeting in her house. Must have been a great church. And Paul said, that, you know, they didn't meet in cool auditoriums like this. They met in homes. And Nympha had a, a healthy, wonderful church in her home and he wanted to greet the whole church. People matter. You matter. Jesus didn't just die for the world. He died for you. 
Your very creation shouts it. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows that your retina is like nobody else. He knows your fingerprints like nobody else. He knows the tone of your voice is like nobody else. God is shouting through how he made you. You matter. There's no one else like you. You matter to me. All things made through him, by him, for him. You are made for the delight of Jesus himself. I know that's hard to believe. Look at your spouse and tell them that's true. They're a delight to Jesus. Maybe not always to you, but to Jesus, they're always a delight. Well, let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for the reminder to start with gratitude in my prayer life. I'm so quick to jump to my list, and then I get discouraged. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and the joy of considering who that is on the cross. We want to do that now, Lord. We want to remember what you did on the cross. Open our hearts and minds to your love. Would you, in your name we pray, amen.